All right. After a little week off, the Coffee Sometimes podcast is back. And uh, newsflash, guys, we fired Ross. Hey, guys, I'm new Ross. I got an upgrade, a little promotion, and feels good. So thanks for having me in the, the Sandler seat, as I like to call it, over here. <laughs> the SS. The SS, SS Ross. Uh, yeah, funny day around here. We've got... Ah, all sorts of stuff. Ethan destroyed his ankle. You want to you wanna show it? Yeah. Can they see it from, oh, from there? That, it's, it's really bad. It, it really is. And I don't say that lightly. That's what a normal foot looks like. Yeah. Uh, and then Ross was going to meet us here uh, to, to, to get on the mic, but then had some sickness strike the at family. home. Yep. So I had to head up the road. But we're making the most of it. It's Monday afternoon. We usually record this on Tuesday morning. And, uh, but, yeah, but tomorrow's the 4th of July. So we're going to take the day off, corporate stuff, you know. But today we got a fun show. We're going to talk about Unreasonable Hospitality, Chapter 11. Riley's favorite chapter. It was a good one. It was great. And we, I don't know, we might talk about debt. Yep. Everyone's favorite subject. Yeah, what a, what a good time in the economy to talk about debt. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, what are we drinking here? Well, yeah, we got the, uh, the afternoon edition. I don't know about you guys, but I can't really drink coffee in the afternoons. It's what, 2, 2.30? 2.20. 2.20. Uh, I'm staying away from coffee at this point, so we busted out some. The downers. We busted out the Downers, the Colonel E.H. Taylor bourbon. Yeah, we're working with small batch because that's all we can afford around here. What's the difference? Ah, oh, well, hey, cheers. Hey, come by. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so there are a few different E.H. Taylors. Uh, this is a company owned by Buffalo Trace. Whoa. And they're all now hard to find and allocated, which is very unfortunate because Buffalo Trace produces these bottles and intends for them to be affordable bottles. They don't set the prices. The distributors set the prices. So like this bottle of E.H. Taylor Small Batch, which is the cheapest one, is supposed to retail for like $39, $49. But people buy it and then resell it for like $85, $100. I've even seen liquor stores, like the liquor stores who only care about making a buck and not selling the product for the intended price, will throw it on their shelves for $150, which is like above secondary pricing. And it sucks. Have we talked about this on air before? Uh, We totally have. We totally have. We talked about it when we were just, it was another you and me pop. (laughs) Wow. We just love bourbon. Yeah. But there are some other amazing E.H. Taylors that uh, this one time, your best friend, Joseph, bought me E.H. Taylor straight rye for my birthday. But it was before it was as allocated as it is. I think he probably bought it for $49. That bottle now sells on secondary for like $250, if you can find it. You're kidding. Yeah. I and don't have $250. It's it's like one of my favorite bottles of liquor ever, and I just can't get my hands on it because it's too expensive. Hey, Colonel, if you're listening to this, hit me up, hit my guy up with a uh, with a bottle of the straight yeah. rye, huh? Colonel, there he is. Colonel, 
Hey, but yeah, this is easy drinking. This is nice. Thanks for busting it out. Oh, yeah. And don't even get me started on the single barrel and the barrel proof. No, trust me. I won't get you started. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. All right. Hey, Uh, uh, how about the bear, huh? mm. We've already, spoiler alert, we already talked about it. I just have to bring it up here. The bear? It's just it's just good TV. It is good TV. Um, I'm just a couple episodes in, and no spoilers. No spoilers. The only I was just surprised that uh, it was a little less heavy. Mm. Maybe it's I don't I haven't you know completed it, but I'm wondering if it's more of like a transition season. Do you feel like they set it up for a season three? Uh, I mean, if you want to fast forward here about what I'm about to say, feel free to fast forward 30 seconds because then we'll be talking about something else about it. Spoiler alert, there will definitely be a season three. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, just based on how it's been rolling, I'm like, this seems like a transition season where it's yeah building character depth. For sure. Setting the stage for probably the restaurant to be uh-huh. open, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I mean... Definitely that. I mean, you, you know, with the first season, you had a lot of him like going to the, um, I don't know what you necessarily call him, but essentially like the AA family member meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of internal stuff. And then, yeah, this season, more so taking a step back, uh, you know, I, I don't know, just definitely not as stressful. The first season was a high, it was a high stress show. Yeah, I was holding on, I was gripping the edge of my armchair mm. watching that thing. I saw a really funny meme that I showed you and I sent to oh, my wife as good. soon as I saw it. And I'll throw it up on the on the, the screen here. It was a little combo of I think you should leave and the bear. And it was the scene where he's pulling through the drive through and he's like, 55 burgers, 55 shakes, 55, 55 tater dogs, 55 fries, 100 milkshakes, 55 taters. <laughs> and... That was that was the text at the top, and then as you see here, viewers, is a picture of Carmi uh, yelling at the top of his lungs in the kitchen. <laughs> Those are probably my two favorite and only TV shows that I watch. <laughs> Dude, the funniest part about that bit is that whenever he pulls back through and the woman behind him hears that that's what's going on, she throws it in reverse and also orders 55 of everything. <laughs> 55 burgers, 55 hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's good TV. Glad oh, yeah. to see TV is uh, really stepping up. It's on the rise, baby. Hey, but it's great, uh, great like thing to be reading a book about restaurants and hospitality, and then watching a book about restaurants. I'm like, I don't want to open a restaurant, but I'm I'm happy to be reading about this. Oh yeah, and I'm, watching. I was telling you, I'm I'm so inspired. And speaking of which, hey, let's tie it all together. Unreasonable hospitality made an appearance in the bear. Golly. I saw it and I was like, ah! We're famous. <laughs> That's me. Uh, and I kind of lost it and it made me really excited. And hopefully, hopefully the book will, you know, our book will get, <laughs> spread get some a little cred. more to the masses. Yeah. Hey, shout out to, was it Ethan? Our, that told us about this oh, book? Oh, yeah, Ethan. Yeah, it was. Did you think for a second when I said Ethan, I was Ross talking about Ethan? Myself? Not, not even for a second. All right, good. I'm sorry. Good, good, good. No worries. We're in chapter 11, pushing yeah. toward excellence. I feel 
like a lot of times these chapters are like, it's just like the entire book is about excellence. For sure. So I feel like it should just all be one chapter. <laughs> Being the, become, With like different little short stories. It's just becoming the best restaurant. Yeah. Doesn't that, isn't that like the clincher? They mention it, like they eventually become like whatever, it wasn't James Beard, but whatever list. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah 50, the list. 50 best restaurants in the world. They started at like 50, or he told, tells the story of them being at 50 and then getting to number one at some point. This is a side note. Do you know that 11 Madison Park is all vegan now? I do remember hearing that. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. And I don't know, maybe we'll get Will on the show and we'll, uh, we'll I'll drill into him about it. Is he still running it? I have no clue. Surely not. Um, how is that? It's just, it's so, it's like, it's like that, you know? It's a, there's a dichotomy because I'm like, is that empathetic? And, to, but then to their point, it's like, we're doing something for the planet. Yeah. Empathetic to the planet. Yeah. But I did see, I, I was just kind of like doing a little bit of light research on it. And Eater, which, you know, it's Eater, so whatever. They, <laughs> I, I say that in the sense that they wrote like a really trash article about Noma when Noma closed. Oh, really? Or announced they were closing. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> so many people were so pissed about it. I think I've actually talked about it on the program. They said something along the lines of like, you shouldn't be sad about Noma. You were never going to eat there anyways or something oh, like that. Yeah. Uh, and it was like a bunch of people who commented and they were like, actually, I did eat there. <laughs> it was like a ton of people who were like, this is just so out of just not good taste. But um, they, whenever they first released it, wrote an article that was like, you know, EMP, this ain't it. Like, good try, but you're not you're not dishing out the quality of food you were before. Mm. That's just plain and simple. Which I, you know, I can't relate with that. I think the most memorable dishes for me at higher end restaurants has been some of the the veggie forward plates. But yeah. Anyways, sorry to take us there. No, that is very crazy to think. I guess this probably all happened after the book and after his time there, if I had to guess. Yeah. Heck, maybe even after that chef's time there. I have to do some research. Dude, I think that the chef owns the restaurant now. Daniel? I'm pretty sure he does. Daniel, whatever his last name is? <laughs> yeah. Man, I got to get my last names down. Anyways, hey, do some recon. But um, yeah, I guess this book is really about excellence. Um, and in the top of this chapter, he says, the very definition of excellence, getting as many details right as you can. Because he was ending a statement talking about you can't be perfect, but excellence is the closest thing to perfection we can get by getting as many details right as you can. And then he goes on. You were before before we were airing this. Uh, you were talking about the cyclist coach that talks about improving, breaking everything down, and improving it all by one percent in those small changes across the board will make such a great like change mm. right 
Yeah. 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 It's like you could try to improve and like focus on one thing and be like, we're going to improve this by 10%. But law of diminishing returns, it gets a lot harder to get to eight, nine percent, ten percent. But getting to one percent of fifteen different areas is a lot easier. Yeah. And then that 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 all adds up to fifteen percent, right? That I think that's boom. how it works. Sure. Yeah, I remember that uh, anecdote being told in another book. And if you remember it, then comment below. But I believe it was Atomic Habits by James Clear. But I could be wrong. One thing I I can relate to that's in this book that he tells a couple stories about like them running into walls or stalemates with um, wanting things to be excellent. But, you know, anytime, and I'm sure we could go into this at the cafe, but it's like, I need this to be better. And then it's so easy to be like, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. So they were talking about, um, he says like getting water to the guests in good time was such a problem for them because the space was so big and it took like a person getting the water order and then going and telling the person to get the right water, what to get, and then them come back. Um, that it seemed like in, insurmountable until they stole a solution from baseball, which was giving signals behind the back while the captain was giving or like getting the water order so that the server could go ahead and, and be coming in with water right before he's done talking. Even while I was reading this by myself, I was like, yes, a solution. There's a, yeah. there's a certain adrenaline rush to, to getting like a solution to a, Oh my gosh. A at first insurmountable problem. I don't know if you can relate. Yeah. Can you think of any that we've, come across in our time i'm we were just we were talking about we were trying to find a solution uh, or we were talking about finding a solution for one of our problems and you hear us talk about it here all the time it's our grinders our grinders Mm -hmm. suck grinders in general suck and i you know you start really raw and just like throwing out a bunch of ideas that won't work like uh you know should we just start doing all EK shots? Should we mm-hmm. just like have a second brewer dedicated to just like pulling like a ton, ripping a ton of EK shots every 15 minutes you rip 10 or whatever. But like you start with that idea and then you develop into something else and something else. Or another one, how this book talks a lot about pre-shift meetings and how that just doesn't work in the coffee industry. Mm-hmm. We were discussing, you know, maybe every afternoon or evening the head coach gets on our communication platform, Basecamp, and records a voice memo that is required for all PICRA members to listen to the next morning when they come in. And it says, hey, here's some things you want to look out for today that were quirky yesterday. Also, note that you're going to have to brew a batch of coffee for a to-go box of coffee at 8 a.m. Also, we just got a new coffee. It's Ethiopia Torre. It is Ethiopia Land Races variety. The notes are this, this, and this. Uh, Sam roasted it like this, so on and so forth. You know, just that, that is step one of that idea. And then the evolution kind of comes from that. For sure. Yeah. But so, I mean, I, w- I wonder how, how many bad ideas they threw out to get to that golden idea. Yeah. I'm like, what if one person wants sparkling, one person wants, uh, wants still. 
Maybe you just do both. But then you know that they don't want to ask who said what. So do you think that the captain and the the server just meet each other mid-room? It's like, man steal, woman sparkling. <laughs> In, like, not even breaking stride. Yeah. Man steal, woman sparkling. <laughs> well, that was another thing, too. They said they had, like, they had a route in their mm. restaurant mm-hmm. so that it was literally just so that people wouldn't feel that it was hectic. Yeah. Like that's, that is crazy intention right there. Oh yeah. That like, just so people don't feel like it's hectic, let's map out the entire restaurant and then you have to follow this path. That's crazy. Mm. Super cool though. Yeah. This quote, uh, you know, they're talking about how on any given night, there could be a ton of problems. Um, reservations should, could show up late and cause the whole night to be late. And those things are just out of your hands. But, quote, there were many things we could control. We could ensure that, that the tablecloths would be spotless and immaculately ironed. Hmm. The Rydell logo on the foot of each wine glass aligned with the table's edge and that every piece of silverware had been placed the same distance from the edge of the table, the length of the top joint of the thumb. We were focusing on those details for the benefit of the guest experience, but the impact they had on us was equally profound. We could feel it too. So when you set that level of excellence, all you're going to do is play off that excellence to create more excellence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, I mean, I'm sure that the way they would look at it is like, if you aren't meeting that standard, then you're out, Um, which, you know, has some truth to it, but... It's, you know, when you start compromising on one thing, it becomes a lot easier to compromise on everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the heading of that chapter may have been the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. That's heavy. That's heavy, man. I can can see that in people's work. You know, we all kind of have like a... an intention that we start with with our work and... You know, sometimes it can flex based on, I don't know, emotions or whatnot, but really just creating that standard across the board because I think something that we battle is personalization versus systemization because we really value our people. And so when we have the opportunity to let people personalize, we have to find out what are the appropriate ways for that to happen and what are the appropriate ways where like we all do it the same way. You know what I mean? Cause there's, there's a lot of gray area, especially in a coffee shop of like, how do we fold the napkins when we give people the pastries? How do we, uh, plate the pastries for crying out loud? Mm. Um, but I guess when I think about, you know, an excellent coffee shop or an excellent business, they probably do a lot of this, a lot more stuff the same than not. Yeah. We got some room to grow, man. Yeah. It's inspiring for sure. Um, other stuff, it talks about the one inch rule. I'm sure that mm. hit you. Yeah. You want to share what that meant to you? <sighs> yeah, dude. I totally remember that part. No, you were saying earlier about the plate, you know, like right there at the end, how you set the plate down. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. And that was going to be the next thing I talked about. (laughs) Oh, my God. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. Yeah, so (laughs) this should hit pretty hard for all you coffee people out there, you baristas. 
they go on to talk about how at the end of, you know, you're bringing out a plate of food and you set it down and you might bump the plate a little bit and, you know, the garnish falls off the top of the food. And in, you know, hindsight, you're like zooming out. That might seem like not a big deal. And the guests might not even notice it, honestly. But uh, the quote is, when you lose focus in that last inch, the presentation is ruined. And you're not just, you know, causing it to reflect on you, but, it, quote, if your job was to place that dish in front of the guest, you were the last link in a long chain of people who had invested many hours of work in that dish. If... In that final inch, a zucchini flower tumbled because of your carelessness. You were letting a lot of people down, including the guest who trusted you with a few hours of their life and the expectation that you would blow their minds. So I look at that as, you know, obviously the guest or, you know, you, you put down, and this goes with some of the things that I think we do right. Um, you know, I think we could take it a step further. Like we pour all of our latte art for right-handed people, like, we should just figure out which of our guests is left-handed by looking and like chart that somewhere. Be like high five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we if we were able to chart that somewhere, that would be sick, and that would be something that a place like this would do. Yeah, um, for sure. And you know, so it, it. Let me slow down here. We put it. We pour the drink for right-handed people, we put it down with the art facing them. Like those are all intentional decisions. You know, if we were to put it the other way or the cappuccino, I mean, I'm sure we, we, we both had this happen before. The cappuccino spills when they bring it to you and maybe they get you a napkin. Maybe they just act like they don't see it, whatever. Mm. That one bad guess experience. Two, think about all the people, let's say you ran that drink and your uh, coworker poured it and they poured beautiful latte art. You ruined their latte art and presented it to the guests in a bad way. And then before that, you ruined the roaster, either on your staff or not, uh, like their pursuit of making the perfect beverage. And then all the way back up, or I'm going to say up the supply chain to uh, a farmer who like chose to grow specialty coffee, even though they knew it was going to be harder. Um, so you just got to keep those things in mind. It's cool to care. It's cool to care. It's cool to care. Yeah. That was, I think in our industry, there's some levels to that as far as like the whole supply chain of coffee. Um, that's always something that gives me inspiration to care to the last, the last point of handing a drink over to a guest. I, there's so much in this, but the last point that I think we should talk about was something I thought we we might disagree on from the book just a little bit, uh, or maybe to different degrees. Not this one. I'll just say it because it's such an awesome quote. He says, "If you've corrected a guest because you don't want them to think you've made a mistake, you've made a bigger mistake or a much bigger mistake." I think that was really sick. So, like, if I run out a ham, egg, and cheese croissant, even though they ordered a regular croissant. And they're like, oh, I got a regular croissant. I should, I could be like, oh, well, it rang up as a croissant. Or uh, it rang up as a ham, egg, and cheese croissant. So I just brought you what came in, but I can go get you the right one. It's like, hey, just, you know, I didn't mess it up. I was just doing what I was told. 
And that may sound dumb, but I hear that all the time, everywhere. We're all, everybody's trying to cover their backs, and I get it. But when you're a part of a real team, it's just like, oh, yeah, totally. Okay, mm. I'll get you the right thing. But that's the easy agreement one. The one that's hard was like when he says their perception is our reality. That's tough. Yeah. Because we talked about this before. If someone orders like a large cappuccino, what's the <laughs> line of correcting them? Because maybe unlike this place where you come every month at the most and you can have all these notes about them, people can come back anytime, any day and try to get the same thing. So like we, it'd be very, very difficult, nay, impossible to have a log of everybody that orders things wrong so that we don't have to correct them. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot easier for them because they can just attach a name to like their reservation system. Yeah. That's not as easy for us with counter service. And dude, I just wonder how much of this is talk and how much of this is like, you know, legit. Like what would they do if someone asked for ketchup with their steak? Like, I think they'd give it to them. Oh, sure. Come on. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. You think they have ketchup? Or ranch. Ranch with their steak. <laughs> I think it's less like that's an, for me in hospitality, that's an easy thing to give someone something kind of silly. But it's harder to swallow the pill of like. Well, it's like the guy, we told a story on the podcast of the guy in Dunwoody who told you, basically told you that our coffee was bad and we'd get better whenever he is asking for Kona coffee. Right, 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 right. It's, that's, that's the situation where you, we, we think Will is saying his perception is correct and we should just swallow it. And you kind of did, I mean, to that effect. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the point of just like, okay, this guy is not, is not our customer. He's not our demographic, and it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I think we're on the same page. I, I agree with most of what he's his thought process is yeah he he has a clarifying paragraph around like someone being disrespectful or abusive and totally i was talking about more like in innocence especially in our industry are we able to like gently steer people of like okay yeah you get a large cappuccino it's just going to be in our system as a latte if that's okay obviously that's not fun Mm -hmm. i don't like any of that i don't feel good about yeah what i don't know what the perfect thing is because I want them to know that I don't even, I just want them to be able to order something and we give it to them. But the fact that I'm not going to be there every time and because it's counter service, there's really not much you can do outside of like facial recognition when you walk in to, yeah. to know. So there's some, some exchange has to be made so that the next time, frankly, they might feel even more silly if they come in like the second or third time and someone's like, actually, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, I've ordered this three times already. Why didn't anyone say anything anything the first time? Yeah. But he ends it by saying, saying sorry, I reminded the team, doesn't mean you're wrong. And if there's one thing I don't do a lot, it's say I'm sorry at work. I'm always just like, yeah, totally. I'll fix it. Yeah. But this definitely made me think back to the times where I, I don't think it's happened in a long time because I feel pretty conscious of this where I've like thrown my teammates under the bus 
like you walk out a wrong drink, but it's because you were expo and surge ring it in wrong. Right. And they're like, Oh, uh, this was supposed to be hot. I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. That, that must've got lost in translation or that would be like the most polite way I would have ever said it. But like, I shouldn't even say that. I should just be like, Oh, you know what? This, that's my bad. I'm so sorry. I'll be right back. Totally. And then just go make the drink. And yeah, they, they aren't going to remember your, freaking vernacular so like don't throw your <laughs> team under the bus <laughs> vernacular is that the right word sure okay vernacular but then the bank that was chapter 11 there's a lot of a lot of gold there oh yeah definitely gonna have an impact on our uh our company isn't that crazy books books changing how we do things yeah who thought who thought we would read Dude, I think I've talked into this microphone for five hours today. And it feels awesome. I'm getting pretty hoarse, honestly. I think I'm sounding a little weird. Hey, good thing I know everything about what we're talking about next, so you don't even have to say a word. Yeah. It'll be a monologue. I'm really good at that. Uh, I was talking in the mic because I recorded... I, I caught this idea from someone, and it's so simple, and it's it's definitely not their idea, but I'm reading this book. I don't know the author's name. Jimmy Jim Jim. Hell, I forget the name of the book, honestly. It's in my Kindle right here. Let's see. I'll tell you all about it. Hey, you already got it. Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Dan Martell. Sounds like a good dude. I listened to a podcast he was in, and that's what made me buy the book. Wow. And he, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Um, book seems good so far. It is about what you might expect replacing yourself. And, uh, he has a method that's just literally called the camcorder method. And a lot of what he's saying is for, you know, these people who are especially like solo entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. or maybe like creators who get virtual assistants. And a lot of what they do, you, there's like all this equation and stuff. It's like value your time, divide that by four. If you can hire someone to do it for that price or less, then you should hire them to do it. And um, he he's basically saying like, you know, it's as simple as sitting down and just like recording yourself doing the thing and then giving it to them. And that's their guide. Mm-hmm. It's like not that much extra work. You're already doing the process one week. Just record yourself doing it, give it to the other person, and then if they have questions, they can ask you questions. So I did that. Dang. And I'm handing off bookkeeping. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, How much time do you think it's going to save you a week? Uh, pretty much a day, man. One? It's like I would say, three hours? I would say... F- <laughs> Two and a half hours? <laughs> well, I, I work a four-hour work week, so... Oh, one hour. Yeah. yeah, check it out. And then I take Fridays off. What's up, my boy, Tim? Um... Yeah, so I I would say between five five to eight hours of time it's gonna save me. Doggone man. So I'm really excited. Excited to do some some more I'm not gonna say fun stuff. I'm like bookkeeping's fun sometimes. Yeah. But I'll be able to do some really fun stuff that's gonna make us so much money. I'll be able to buy so much bourbon. <laughs> I'm talking straight ride. <laughs> Single barrel. Barrel proof. Barrel proof, yeah. At secondary prices. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, hey, let's get into Let's get into this. Yeah, but so to do that, you know, starting a business. Yeah, uh-huh. Costs money. Yeah. 
Sometimes when you start a business, you don't have the money. Okay. You got to get the money somehow. So you get into debt. D-E-B-T, debt. Yeah, that was a great transition. Yeah. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode so far, like, subscribe, comment, comment or review, review and share the podcast. Thank you. And send us a personal message. Send us a letter at 11660 Alfredo Highway. How much of your life did you think that debt was solely a bad thing because of Dave Ramsey? <sighs> are your parents Dave Ramsey subscribers? You already know. You Same. already know. Yeah. Really? Yours are too? Well, not not to the extent. I'm there I think there was a season for sure. Yeah. But. Everybody goes through a Ramsey season. Yeah. Bust out the envelopes. Mm. And I think I'm sure there's a lot of good and I have nothing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. No, not taken away from that. Oh, Dave. He's changed never. some lives. But to start something, you kind of need to get in debt. <laughs> and that's kind of how this whole thing started. You may be thinking that we didn't get into debt because we did a crowdfunding campaign and you're wrong because it wasn't nearly enough to do anything. <laughs> yeah, you take that price, double it. That's how much money we needed. So we were 50% debt driven, 50% crowdfunded. And granted, you know, starting a business and only being 10 grand in debt doesn't sound scary. But to some 18, 19 year olds, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Because we were like, okay, split that three ways. We always take the worst case like thought, you know, it's kind of a stoicism move right there. Fear setting. Shout out Tim Ferriss again. Yeah, what's up, Tim? Uh, yeah, think about the worst case, and if you're okay with that, if you can live with that happening, go for it. So we were like, all right, if we all get in debt, $3,333. And pay that off somehow. Yeah, and pay it off somehow. Are we okay with that? And we're like, sure, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And then we did, so we got... And how do we how did we get in debt? Because there's a lot of different ways you can get in debt. Yeah, I was. Michaela and I were driving past this place the other day, and I was like, I need to go and like, I need to record some sort of video about that. Uh, <clears throat> I think I can't remember if you were you. I mean, no, you were you were definitely involved. I don't think that you had equity yet. I wonder if our uh, our listeners know that that I didn't have equity in this company. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Yeah, when we first started, we just thought Ethan was going to be our first hire because we, me and Ross had already had the idea. And then he just like kind of became the company. So we were like, okay, we can be equal partners. Um, but or like maybe, yeah, anyways. So we were in that <laughs> We might have been in that season. And me and Ross, I think, maybe just like made the call. that like We started with this like foldable table and we were... But with the crowdfunding, we had the stuff and we started talking like, you know, we need money. We need $10,000. I like looked up trailers and like we needed an EK. We needed to build out the cart. And so we needed 10 grand. Me and Ross get in the car, drive to the bank. <laughs> and we were walk in, just me and Ross. Apparently uh, it was at BB&T. I think he kind of knew his banker a little bit, had talked to her at some point. We go into their office and we're like, yeah, we just, we we're starting a business. We really need a loan. We're, our checking account is here. We need a loan for 
And they were just like, no. <laughs> they said, ha, 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 uh, And they were like, we don't give out loans that small, I think. Something along those oh, lines. my gosh. And Probably talked to you about line of credit. Yeah, they were like, you can either get this credit card right here or you can get a line of credit. And then I was like, I'm stupid. I should have just thought about this because I like I had already been getting into credit cards and like credit card points mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and I was like, I should have just thought about this. So I we get in the car, drive back to my house, and then I instantly just apply for a Chase Inc. business cash. It's still around, still around. Zero uh, percent interest for I think it was twelve months. Um, and we were like, you know, we'll pay the minimum payment every month. If we don't have this paid off in a year, this company might just not work out. So got that card, put the trailer on it, put an EK on it, put a drip brewer on it, uh, all of the materials for the cart. I'm trying to think of what else. I just think it's funny that we thought we could do all that with the like $9,000 we got. So dumb. Oops. Yeah, it's because we weren't going to do the cart, dude. We were like, we were just sidestepping that idea. But, um, you know, and then at that point, you know, we went from having a fake company, essentially, to having a real company and, like, being able to do stuff. And debt was the difference. And debt was the driver. So I tell people that story all the time. If it's a wholesale account who's maybe a cart and just like thinking about ways to expand, and I'm just like, I know it's scary. Especially, we didn't have a lot of risk associated. Realistically, if we wouldn't have paid that debt, what our credit scores would have tanked, and we'd already have bounced back to like good by now. Yeah, um, it would have just been like a sidestep. Some people have families and they're like starting a business later in life than 18 and 19 years old. So I get that. But if you have a model that you think is going to work, you know, like we still leverage that philosophy sometimes. Mm -hmm. It might not be the smartest, but like we were getting over budget on Dunwoody and I was like, I'm just going to open a new credit card, 0% interest, 15 months. And it's just, I think it's sitting with 10 grand on it right now. And <laughs> just from that being over, I've paid it down a little bit, but I'm just like, if I pay this off in a year and don't have to pay any interest on it, that's where you really don't want to get to. And we can talk about more conventional loans and interest rates in a second. You never want to pay that credit card interest rate because it's like 19, 20, 22%. That's punishing. A year. So divide that by 12. But, you know, you take. If your balance is $10,000, you do uh, 10,000 times 20% divided by 12. That would be your interest rate for the month. Yeah, and that number is? Right. Boop, bop. 10,000 <laughs> divided by 12. You, you can do that in the post, in the edit, right? Yeah, I'll totally do that. Uh, so with all that being said, still leverage that sometimes. For sure. If you can get money for free, get the money for free. That's kind of the, that, and that's, again, going back to Dave Ramsey. That's where I completely, fundamentally disagree with Dave Ramsey. So he's like, no loans ever. And I get that. I know people, I know a guy who is, he's the most successful guy I know, and he has no debt. 
and you know him too. See, like, <laughs> I'm not, oh, I, yeah, I guess I know him. He's, he's very near and dear to our hearts. Done. In our company. Done. Um, he has, Colson. <laughs> he has no debt, like none across the board. And the reason he has no debt is because he just grew up with like a fear of debt. And if he carried a lot of, a lot of debt, it would just stress him out. So I understand that philosophy. I just don't subscribe to that. I You're kind of like a live your truth guy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. It's but then there's the other side of it. It's like, oh, if you can get a low interest if you can get an interest rate under five percent and beat the market, like like the market gains eight percent. To that point, that means every dollar that you could have put to the debt has to be getting invested if you're going to subscribe to that philosophy. you got to have a lot of money to do that, I feel like. Yeah, unless inflation is at a rate higher because then you are making money, which is really, really, really interesting. Like my car loan is 2.5%, and I'm so thankful that I got a car loan instead of putting a ton of money down because, I mean, inflation over the past two years has been like 8 Ten percent. Wow. <sighs> Anyways, zero yep. percent. So, with all that being said, zero percent interest. I, I mean, I kind of just open a zero percent interest credit card whenever I can. If I like, if I'm thinking about doing a big purchase, and I just like, even, even personally, like me and Mikhail bought a couch, opened a zero percent interest credit card, put it on there, even though I have the money to pay for the couch. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, why would I do that right now? Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna leave it sitting in my like high interest rate savings account making like 4.5. Yeah. Oh, money, money, man. Okay. So that's like small stuff though. Right. We're talking about, you know, getting, getting a extra 10, extra $15,000 here and there. But then there's the bigger, you know, full on cafe option where you're in this Political climate, economic climate. We're talking about three, four hundred thousand mm. dollars for money, and there's a couple options you can turn to. And does that mean if you get like an SBA loan, a small business loan, now that interest rate is pretty high? Correct. You can look it up. I'm sure that this is on their website somewhere, but um, most of uh, most of the time it's like, and banks do this too. It's just like, you know, the rate is blank percent over the prime rate. The prime rate is set by the fed. So like that is across the board for like everything for mortgages and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so they set an interest rate and then everything is based off of a differential of that interest rate. So SBA loans are certainly a higher percent interest rate right now. And most SBA loans would fall under like a 30-year term? No. No. Um, some maybe, but most SBA loans, especially for like working capital equipment and whatnot, I think a lot of them are an 8 to maybe 15-year term. Um, so it's, it's just, yeah, the, the thing about SBA loans is that they're just really hard to get um, why? Wow. That's a good question. 
I mean, there's so many stipulations and I feel like there's so many like different loopholes to make it work for you. But a lot of times they just like won't even look at giving you a loan unless you have two years of profitability as a business. And so it's like when people people are looking to start business, that's when they need the money. So um, that's why so many people, including us, have to turn to personal loans up Mm -hmm. front. Um, and yeah, you just don't really have another option. That's where you have to like get creative. And that's why we started as a cart and not a coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. And working our way, but 44 Milton's almost paid off, baby. That's right. We're close. Oh yeah. Um, and then, so another interesting thing though, that is not debt related though, is investors, Mm. right? That's right. Because instead of paying them back on a fixed rate, you now pay them back via distribution. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, you can set this up a million different ways, and I don't think there's any um, best practice necessarily, but it could be along, like, you know, in the agreement of, you know, their investment, you say you will be the sole receiver of distributions for the first blank before us so that you will get repaid as soon as possible. Uh, people do it that way. And then a lot of times people just like make promises of like, you know, you will be paid back by blank. And, you know, that's, uh, it is what it is. Sometimes you got to do that and I get it. But we have just tried to avoid that so far. This is true. Yeah, and now as you expand the company, you know, we have the option to have investors in certain projects because we've built our company with multiple companies. Is that a particular pro or there are multiple pros of taking that route of making multiple like LLCs? Yes, because, I mean, depending on the bank or the government stipulations, like, you can always just use your older company to get the loan. Um, so, and there's there's that side of it. And that is kind of my philosophy going forward because, yeah, it does make it harder to just, like, open a company and then, like, apply for a bunch of credit cards whenever that company doesn't have any credit or whatever. But you're just saved in terms of like, you know, if you did want to take investment in one cafe, you know, Mm -hmm. that would be through that one LLC. If you did want to take, if you did want to avoid liability, like uh, if someone breaks their neck in our Alpharetta cafe, that should not affect our roasting operation. And (laughs) it won't because of the liability, you know, uh, safeguards we have. How do you think someone would break our neck, their neck in a cafe? Maybe like the overhead menu falls. Oh, that would suck. That's the only way I can think. Or the disco ball. Dis- yeah. We got <laughs> track lighting's probably not too heavy. Nah. Yeah. It's like, that's just like herniated disc kind of stuff. Glass. Glass ones are above the bar, so you're safe. <laughs> Just like uh, this guy we know that has a fear of debt, we have a fear of people breaking their neck. <laughs> so everything we do in the company is revolved around making sure no one breaks their neck. Yeah, don't even think about breaking your neck in our cafe. 
forget about it. Or we'll know you listen to this episode. Man, we're close to transitioning to the next most fun topic, like lawsuits. Yes. We talked about debt. Now we got to talk about lawsuits. Like trademark infringement stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think, did you think about this kind of stuff when you wanted to have a business? Was this on your radar? I mean, debt. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> kind of had to be. For sure. Uh, I don't know. I never thought I would just have to spend a good bit of time dealing with like some, I mean, I don't know how much trouble I can get for saying this here. I'm not worried about it. Someone unhinged, like chasing after us, trying to make money off of a <sighs> like trademark case that does not even make any sense. Yeah. Yep. Lawyers are, they're pricey, baby. Yeah. So that's uh, that's been awesome. And I just like pay that lawyer bill and I'm just like. That's why I'm going to law school. I'm going to represent us. Yes. Rivers, rivers, and sons. It's like the like Yellowstone philosophy. Like send your son to law school. You know? uh, in the show? Oh, yeah. You told me about that. Yeah. Uh, I am losing my voice. Oh, man. Hey, thank uh, you. All you need to know, people, is... Debt's okay. Debt is okay. But what a big thing that you're saying is have a plan to get it back. Yeah. Know what you're getting into. Yeah. Coffee's a risky one to get it back, to be fair. True. But if three jabronis could pull it off and then when we were 19, you're you're already starting in a better place than us. So, Mm. Um, hey, hope you guys haven't had an awesome 4th of July. Whoa. That's crazy. Uh, and it was awesome being here with you, T. Right back at you. Ross, um, we missed you. Yeah, Ross, we did miss you. If you've enjoyed, you know what to do. Like, subscribe. Uh, give us a hug. Yeah, and don't break your neck in our cafe, please. <laughs> don't break your Don't even think about it. All right, we'll see you all next week. Peace. Bye.